Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Annika, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And it is so good to be together this morning, whether you're here in person or if you're at home waiting for the snow to fly, it is good to be in God's presence. And it is good that God's presence spans all time and all place. What a blessing. Before we begin, uh, one announcement. This week is scheduled to be a midweek on Wednesday, and our COVID task force is still working to uh, figure out whether or not we can meet in person. The governor's guidelines for raising the percentages of uh, attendance and capacity starts tomorrow, but the group size gatherings is a little wonky in there that we're trying to figure out. And so uh, we pray that we will all be together soon. However, we want to make sure that we're together safely and within, within the guidelines. So uh, families, please be watching your email this week, Monday, Tuesday, and we will hopefully have more information out to you as soon as we know what's going on. Thanks. Choir our, our hearts before our God. God, you are good, and it is good to be here with you this morning. Lord, we pray that we would see you, we would hear from you, and that we would know you better. Lord, we love you. Be with us this day. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you rise, embody your spirit. And join us in this call to worship. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins. And heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. And crowns you with love and compassion. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Oh 
We said in the beginning in Psalm 103, God says, forget not all your benefits. And um, one of the benefits that John and I celebrated, well, we're celebrating it today, I guess, is the 40th anniversary of our first date. And, and last fall, we celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary. And um, our kids kind of gave us an impromptu surprise. Um, anniversary party at one of our family dinners. And um, my daughter, Kristen, who's somewhat of a math geek, kind of did, and I don't know if you can all see it, but as of our, um, she kind of did all of like our years, how many months we were together, how many days, how many hours, minutes, and seconds, believe it or not, that we're here together. So, um, but at the bottom, if you can see, it says one love. Um, throughout all those years. And I guess I was kind of reflecting on that and realized that God wants us to be his first love. We should be his, you know, or we are his first love. He wants him to be our first love. And he's been with us every second of our lives. He knew us even before we were born. And I just kind of, that's just amazing to me. But too often, in this past week and past years and months, we have forsaken our first love. We haven't always um, worshiped him with all our heart, mind, and strength. And so we need to come to confession and ask God for forgiveness. So would you join me? It's kind of a back and forth of um, the prayer of confession. Lord, you showed us true humil humility by becoming one of us. You cried alongside your friends and for the city of Jerusalem. You love those who were weak, despised, or cast out. Yet too often, respected, you for freely forgave and healed. Too often, we hold and 
lived a perfectly holy life. Yet too often we do not yearn for righteousness. You prayed that we who believe in you should be united with each other and you. You were mocked, whipped, and even killed for us. You call us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Please continue in silent confession. Hear these words of assurance from Psalm 103, verses 8 through 13. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Would you rise and body your spirit and join us in singing, Take My Life.
May the peace of Christ be with you. Let's take this time to greet our neighbors in a socially distanced and COVID-appropriate manner. All right, good morning. I'm Emily Fortnheim, one of the elders here, and it is my privilege to lead us this morning in prayer. Let's pray. Dear God, you are omniscient, omnipresent, and the creator of the entire universe. And yet, you are our God and the God of Pleasant Street Church. We thank you that you desire a personal relationship with us and invite us to come before you in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for listening to our prayers. Our congregation has lost several members and family members in the, fa in the last few months. We think especially of the Wiersmas, the Wassenars, the Nyenheises, the Nidams, the Lukianics, the Vrismas. We rejoice that death is not the end and that you promise an eternal life free from sickness and pain and old age for all who believe. But we still grieve and miss our loved ones. Dear God, we ask for comfort and peace in the midst of loss. Dear God, several in our congregation are dealing with COVID and the lingering symptoms. We pray for strength and health and restoration of health for them. Dear God, Others in our congregation continue to struggle with other health issues. This morning we want to lift up Don, who has good days and bad days after his mini stroke, but we're glad to see him here this morning. We also lift up Beth, Tammy's mother in South Dakota, who is dealing with significant health issues. We pray for healing. We also pray for Tammy as she's caring for her mother. Give her strength and patience. And as the pandemic and socially distant distancing linger, we lift up those who are lonely and struggling with depression, anxiety, and those who are just restless from being stuck at home all of the time. Dear God, we ask for your special presence. We thank you the hope that, for the hope that you give us. In you, Lord, we put our trust. Forgive us when we place too much confidence in things like vaccines or political parties or our own finances and abilities. You alone are worthy. Help us to delight in you and your word only. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. This morning, our reading, we have two. The first one is from Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5, of David. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And from Luke 7, 1 through 16. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, 
they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Soon after, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples in a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This is the word of the Lord. Well, friends, good morning. For those of you whom I haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Matthew. I'm the senior pastor here, and glad that you could be with us today. As we get started looking at the Gospel of Luke together, would you join me in a prayer? Healing Lord. By your goodness, you healed many who were ill, even raising the dead to life. We cannot always measure how you will heal us, Lord, but we trust you to respond. Send your Holy Spirit now and restore us to new life. As we read the story of your Son, use these words to bring healing to our hearts, minds, and spirits, so that we may proclaim praise and gratitude for your compassion to all who will hear it. In the name of the one who is himself new life, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke together this winter, and today this story in Luke 7 is about uh, this story, rather, that Luke is telling in his Gospel in its entirety is, is in many ways about what happens when the real and the living God comes here. Here, like to earth where we live. And one of the things that Luke uh, tells us often about Jesus in his story and his reporting is that in Jesus, God uh, is responding to human needs. Jesus responds to human needs. We see it over and over again. He heals the sick. He feeds the hungry crowds. He gives life back to the dead and deceased sons to their mothers. No wonder the people are filled with awe, amazed, surprised at 
what God is doing, of all the things that we would expect to find God doing when God comes here, the one we find him doing often in Luke is helping. Jesus responds to human needs. Jesus responds. He heals in different ways and at different times, but he responds. But we've seen that already in Luke. This isn't adding anything we haven't already seen. We've seen that Jesus responds. And so today, today Luke shows us a story of healing, but the point is not so much what Jesus does to respond, but why. If there's one thing that closes the gap between this very old story that we've just heard and our own lives in the modern world, it's the reality that we need help. For all the power and mastery of the world that we might have that they didn't, we cannot stop people from getting ill. We cannot always make them better. Jesus responds to human need. We want to know, how do we get them to respond to ours? How do we approach him? Jesus is back in Capernaum when some Jewish elders approach him with a need. The centurion in the area has sent a delegation of Jewish elders to get Jesus, to to ask for his help. The centurion has a servant who is gravely ill, who is very important to him. He matters very much. He wants Jesus' help. But he knows that he's not Jewish, and it would jeopardize Jesus' ritual purity if he were to interact with him directly himself, and so he sends Jewish elders to ask on his behalf. Now, remember with me that a centurion is a military commander for the Roman Empire. He commands a hundred soldiers, right? His job was to be a bridge between the empire, whom he represents, and a local region of conquered people. How do you bridge a divide like that? Well, it's Empire Management 101. You know the customs. You don't insult the locals. You provide education or training or infrastructure. Turns out the centurion aced Empire Management 101. He's done his job well. He built a synagogue for the people of Capernaum. Hearts and minds, right? But this does not mean that he is one of them. He is not an Israelite. He is an outsider, and not just an outsider, but a representative of the enemy. So it should come as no surprise to us that when the elders approach Jesus on his behalf, they assume that they will need to persuade Jesus. They plead earnestly Luke says, Jesus, please, we are begging you, help this man. This centurion deserves to have you help because, of course, by default, we all know he doesn't deserve it. So they approach Jesus asking for him to make an exception to the rule. Why? Because we are in his debt. Because it would be dishonorable to ignore a powerful man like the centurion. Because if Jesus doesn't help, that centurion might suddenly run short on goodwill toward us. 
You see it? They approach Jesus asking for him to respond because of an obligation. The centurion has earned help. Well, now that seems so obvious a thing to say that it barely registers. I mean, we have a name for that. It's called networking. Help those who can help you. Help those whom you would dishonor not to. Help those who have earned it. This is, this is how the world works. Love those who love you. Do good to those who are good to you. Lend expecting that people will pay you back. It's so common in how we treat each other. Is it any wonder that it's how we assume we should approach God too? Jesus goes with them, which I find very interesting. But when the centurion finds out that Jesus is on his way there, he does something strange. He sends another delegation. He sends more people to approach Jesus again. But they're not telling Jesus to come faster or hurry. They're saying, Jesus, don't come any closer. Don't trouble yourself. Which is not southern hospitality, right? He literally means don't trouble yourself. He does not want Jesus to come to his house. That's weird. Why? Well, he knows the customs well enough to know that this would mean put, putting Jesus in contact with illness and it would mean entering the household of a Gentile. And for a rabbi, this would mean spiritual contamination and weeks of a spiritual decontamination process. And so he approaches Jesus again through friends to say, Oh, no, no, Jesus, don't, don't do that. Don't contaminate yourself coming to my house. I'm not worthy to have you here. What he's saying is, Jesus... Please don't misunderstand me. You don't owe me this. If I thought you did, I would have come myself. I would have brought the full weight and authority and power of my very presence to you in order to manipulate you into coming to do a favor for me. Look, I know how authority works, he says. I have bosses. And I have to order my life by what they say. And I give orders that structure other people's lives that they have to obey. I know that you are a man of great authority. I command soldiers. You command sickness. All you have to do is say the word. Do you see how different of an approach this is than the one that comes with the Jewish elders. The centurion is so convinced of Jesus' power and authority that he doesn't even need to be there to ask himself. He can phone it in. And he is very aware that he does not deserve it. He cannot demand it. He's not calling in a favor because of his power. He's asking Jesus on the basis of his. And Jesus is surprised. Jesus is surprised. Think of that. Jesus being surprised. In fact, it's so rare, it only happens twice 
In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is surprised by Nazareth's lack of faith. He can barely do anything while he's there. He is surprised. That's not the good kind of surprise. Today, he is surprised for the second time, this time not by a lack of faith, but by a centurion's great faith. The irony of Jewish elders appealing to Jesus on the basis of deserving it is matched by the irony of a Roman centurion assuming and knowing that he doesn't. The centurion understands Jesus' purpose better than his own people do. And Jesus is surprised. And honestly, so are we. Apparently, the centurion is not just an outsider to these Jewish elders, but a bit of an outsider to us as well. Because we don't approach God with this kind of an, what would you call it, an empty boldness. We think that if Jesus is going to respond and we desperately want him to, we have to have great faith, by which we mean something more like tremendous confidence. Now, there's a very famous story told among prosperity gospel preachers about um, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland, that dynamic Texan duo. For decades, the Copelands have saturated primetime television and the Christian bookstore shelves with teachings about living the abundant life. You don't have to spend much time with them in order to learn that they don't expect God simply to respond to needs in life. To be fair, they expect God to rain down blessings. So, the story goes that when a tornado threatened to destroy their home, the Copelands are said to have crept in the night to their porch in order to face down the storm in their moment of need. They prayed long and loud that God would protect their property and for good measure commanded God to protect their neighbors' houses too. And so they said the tornado turned and went the other way. I want us to think about that for a second. That image of two of the world's wealthiest Christians shaking their fists at the sky protesting to the God of fair. Health and wealth preachers tell and retell stories like these as evidence of great faith. They tell them as examples of how to approach God in order to get his help. They tell stories of people who believed so strongly and laid claim to their faith so powerfully that they were able to cure cancer, to increase their bank accounts, to loose blessing in their lives, to turn away the storms of tragedy simply by the power of their command. And the promise of these stories, of course, is that we can too. The prosperity gospel has a simple way of explaining how the world works. Just as God created the laws of gravity and thermodynamics, so too God created spiritual laws that ensure that good things really do happen to good people. Dr. Kate Bowler, who is a Duke Divinity Scholar of the Prosperity Gospel, she said in one of her books that the point of these laws is this, that they create an elegant solution to the problem of unfairness 
a Newtonian universe in which the chaos of the world is reducible to whether or not we followed the rules. Or in other words, the prosperity gospel shows us an approach for how we can deserve and earn God's help in our lives. We do it by pulling the right levers to get God to turn and come toward us. The truth of the prosperity gospel, unfortunately, though, is that it's not giving you the way to great faith. It's offering you the illusion of control. The centurion, however, can see that Jesus' healing is not based on his words, his authority. In fact, the whole reason he seeks Jesus' help in the first place is because it's out of his control to do anything about it. A centurion can do a lot of things, but a centurion cannot order sickness around. But Jesus can. He does not come to Jesus with the boldness of asserting his own claims, but on the basis of who Jesus claims to be. Well, if we can't approach God that way, perhaps then we might go the other way and we say, well, then maybe I should just grovel to get God to work in my life. I mean, after all, the centurion says he's unworthy. Is that the way? John Newton, the uh, slave trader turned Christian minister, the one who wrote the famous song, uh, Amazing Grace, right? He once wrote a letter to a man who was very much in need and very depressed and trying to figure out how to get God to work in his life. This man could not understand why God was not showing up, why God wasn't helping. And so Newton writes him a letter, and at one point in his reply, he says this. You, feel, you say you feel overwhelmed with guilt and a sense of unworthiness? Well, indeed, you cannot be too aware of the evils inside of yourself. But you may be, indeed you are, improperly controlled and affected by them. You say it's hard to understand how a holy God could accept such an awful person as yourself. You then express not only a low opinion of yourself, which is right, but also too low an opinion of the person, work, and promises of the Redeemer, which is wrong. You complain about sin, but when I look at your complaints, they are so full of self-righteousness unbelief, pride, and impatience that they are little better than the worst evils you are complaining of. How's that for bedside manner? Do you see, do you see what Newton is saying, though? Trying to approach God saying, I'm too far gone for the mercy of God is the exact opposite of saying, God owes me one. The centurion is not groveling or wallowing in his unworthiness. It's simply for him a matter of fact. But it does not prevent him from asking. It just gives him a different reason. He approaches Jesus, empty of his own authority, confident of Jesus. I think in this story what we see are two ways that we could misunderstand how to get God's healing, responding presence in our lives. The first is to assume, to act, to behave as though God owes us one, that we have to fake it until we make it, we have to name it until we claim it. But the second is to assume that we are too far gone to even ask. And many times, I think I know in my own life, I just oscillate back and forth between the two. 
What surprises Jesus is that this centurion of all people has understood something about Jesus better than anyone else. And it makes all the difference in his approach. Now, the Jewish elders might think that he deserves this healing, but he knows better. He knows he can't demand Jesus' presence in his life. And so he asks with an unworthy boldness, with, a, with an empty confidence. He asks not on the basis of his authority, but on Jesus' authority. He asks not because he is worthy, but because the servant in his household is. He asks not because he is good, but because he can see from Jesus' reputation that Jesus is. His settled and bold request is based on the simple trust in the power and authority and sufficiency of Jesus. Or as Jesus said, we're not heard for our many words or the big ones. We are heard because God is one who hears. We are helped because God is one who helps. And we can be assured that this is true for us because Jesus doesn't just respond to human need. He bears our sickness on the cross. He doesn't just have compassion on the grieving by resuscitating the dead. He offers resurrection through his own body. We can trust that he hears us because Jesus has in fact already anticipated our deepest needs before a widow can even say any words to him at all. He's there with compassion saying, don't cry. Because he can do this before, he knows what we need before we even ask. So then what would a prayer like that sound like? What does a confident prayer born of your own incompetence exactly sound like? What does great faith that neither wallows nor gloats sound like? Well, actually, there is one kind of prayer that comes to mind. You know, I... I think I've actually heard something kind of like that before in my life. I think I've heard a kind of prayer that's full of an empty confidence. Maybe you've heard one too. It's how kids pray. Laura Copley once told me a story about the power of prayer from the mouth of her own child. Laura Copley is a preacher, and she is also a mom to four small kids. As sometimes happens when you are a preacher or a mom or both, or really in any other vocation that involves small children, sometimes the day begins badly. Laura said it was one of those days when you already hate the day, and it's only 530 Well, she'd gotten up in the dark, cold morning to try to recover uh, from the beginning by spending some time with Jesus, and so she tiptoed to the couch, avoiding all of the creaking boards and the floor, and she turned on just enough light to see her Bible and the business end of a coffee mug, right? But it was not to be. She could already hear her two older boys upstairs egging on their little brother, and there was a lot of laughing And then there was a mighty crash, and then silence. Meanwhile, her preschool daughter had come downstairs looking for mom and was already demanding breakfast. When Laura heard the crash and the ensuing silence, she said sarcastically to her daughter, Shannon, pray for mommy because mommy needs it. 
And then Laura said, so she did. Her daughter bowed her head holding a teddy bear and said in preschooler English, Jesus, you are good. You help us. Thank you. Amen. which I think surprised Laura for its profound power and simplicity. I know I was surprised. Perhaps Shannon's prayer surprises you. Full of profound, great faith as it is in the sufficiency and goodness of Jesus. In fact, I don't think that there is anyone who isn't surprised to realize that that is as simple as great faith is. Except, of course, for Jesus. I don't think that would surprise him at all. Because where there is a prayer like that at work, it's a pretty good sign that he's already there. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, would you pray with me? Jesus, you are good. You help us. Thank you. Amen. Friends, I'd invite you to rise in body or in spirit, and let's respond together. Healer of our every ill.
Brothers and sisters, friends, guests, the Lord who has brought us here through obvious or sometimes mysterious means is the same Lord who sends us out, leads us out from this place. And we go with his smile, with his face, with his goodness turned toward us because what Jesus has done for us, and he will not change his mind. And so, friends, go blessed. I invite you to open your hands and receive it. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Friends, let's go singing. the conqueror has risen and as a stone is rolled away and Christ emerges from his grave this victory march continues till the day every eye and heart shall see him so spirit come put strength in every stride give grace for every
serve the Lord.